Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Okay, hopefully those of you joining us online are feeling good too. Uh, Maybe a little bit more than the energy in this room. Uh, Just kidding, just kidding. Have you ever met a problem that was too great for you to handle? Have you ever met a problem that was too great, too, uh, that when you were dealing with it, it was overwhelming, that you, you felt hopeless, you felt helpless, you couldn't deal with it? Have you ever met a problem like that? For those of us who have experienced a little bit of life, we've probably all come into contact with some kind of problem that we've dealt with that was too great for us to bear, too great for us to try and fix. No matter when, no matter how many times we tried to fix it, it didn't work. No matter how many times we addressed it, it got worse. No matter how much we spent energy on it and looked up Google articles and tried to figure out 10 steps to fixing my problem, whatever that problem was, we found out that it wasn't all it cracked up to be, that it didn't actually fix it. In week two of Disruptive Jesus, what we're going to find is a man who had a problem like that. A problem that he couldn't deal with, that he had no power to be able to to conquer every time that he tried to get help from someone else. It never tended to work out. He had a problem that wasn't just a problem that he had, but the problem had him. Have you ever been there? Um, You see, what we're going to see is that when Jesus came into contact with this man, He disrupted him in a good way. His problem was no longer a problem. But we're going to see what had to happen. Because when we come into contact with problems like that, we need to be encouraged that Jesus has the answer. And that Jesus is the answer. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 is where we're going to start. Jesus had just got done um, telling the winds and the waves to chill out, to go away, um, as they were on the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus, like a parent who's got some kids bickering, he told them to chill and stop. And guess what? Unlike our kids, the wind and the waves, they stopped just by him speaking. Wouldn't that be nice? Parents said, amen. Okay. Uh, At least I did. Okay. Luke chapter 8, verse 26, they're on the sea, and then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Now, let me stop there. It's important to understand that this was likely not a place where uh, a lot of Jews lived. This was more a space, a region of Gentiles. Scholars and theologians argue where this was exactly, whether it was a region or whether it was a certain town, whatever. We're not sure exactly, but what we do know is that this was a place that was filled with Gentiles, people like you and I who were not Jewish, and this is significant because Jesus oftentimes only went to those places at select times, but it's just a foreshadowing of the fact that God's gospel through Jesus Christ was going to go beyond Jerusalem, beyond Israel. So verse 26, then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Uh, when he got out on land, so Jesus gets out of the boat, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. Quite a welcoming committee. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tomb. So get this, okay? Demon-possessed man, no clothes on, didn't have a house. If he had a house prior, family and whatever, he hadn't been there. Living in the tombs, the place where we would take a dead body and lay it to rest, right? A place of death. That's where he was. His place of life was no longer a place of life, but he was living in among death. 
So this naked man comes up to him. And verse 28, when he saw Jesus, this man, he cried out, fell down before him and said in a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Apparently this dude knew exactly who Jesus was. I beg you, don't torment me. Now that's a weird response to Jesus, right? The naked man comes up. And he's asking, hey, please, I beg you, don't torment me. And Jesus is probably thinking, hold up, you're the one with no clothes on, dude. I'm a little bit worried about you, right? That's what we would think. That's what we would think. Like, hold up, were you worried about being me tormenting you? Right? Let's take you to Walmart. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, don't torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So Jesus commanded the unclean spirit, the demon, to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, this man, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. So the question is, in all this, who's Jesus talking to? Who's, who's Jesus talking to? The, is it the man or the demon? It appears as though when the man came up, Jesus knew exactly, before the, before the man ever said anything, before the demon ever said anything, he knew exactly what was happening. Jesus sees our problems. Jesus sees our problems. He knows exactly what's going on. Even if you don't, even if you have not said it, even if you've not prayed about it, he knows exactly what's plaguing us. So this man comes up to Jesus, and Jesus immediately, uh, I know the wording in here is a little bit uh, out of order, but basically what it's saying is that Jesus commanded the unclean spirit, the demon, to come out of the man, and then in response, the demon starts to throw the guy on the ground and begging Jesus to not torment him. So, so Jesus, in the face of evil, right, when, when, when Jesus, King Jesus, came into contact face-to-face, with the greatest, the form of the greatest evils in the world. Demons, y'all. These are fallen angels who have rebelled against God, who have supernatural powers, who are rebelling against God, and using this man for Satan's purposes. This demon, in the face of Jesus, doesn't try to fight Jesus, but begs for mercy. Begs for mercy. So this man had a big problem, right? Uh... I would, I would wager to bet that all of us would probably admit that being possessed by a demon is worse than the, the, the problem we're dealing with right now. Right? Probably haven't had a problem as bad as that. And what does it say that the demon would sometimes do? He would, uh, so, so when he got people around him, people tried to help, right? They tried to, to, to bind him up and, and have shackles on him so that, why? Because so that he wouldn't hurt other people or hurt himself. Guess what happened? He broke the shackles. He broke the restraints. And then what did the demon do? He drove him to, what does it say? Into deserted places. You know, whenever we're dealing with a problem that is evil, whenever we're dealing with a sin, whenever we're dealing with an addiction, there's a reason why. When it's in charge, it never leads us to a good place. It always leads us to deserted places, both physically and metaphorically. Because evil doesn't want to see the light. Evil wants to go to darkness, wants to go to isolation. So when we're dealing with addictions or sins that we can't uh, shake, there's a reason why oftentimes we try to be alone and we don't talk about it. Because our problems they need to be brought to the light. They need to be exposed for what they truly are. 
And when these demons, or this demon, uh, saw Jesus, it begged for mercy. And I think that's interesting. You see, I, I don't know about you. I, I'm, I'm sure you were raised in a similar way like me. Uh, your parents probably had some mottos, some one-liners that maybe have been etched into your mind, etched into your soul. And now, like if you have kids, you start saying those same things to your kids. And you're like, whoa, hold up. That's not supposed to happen. I'm sounding like my mom or my dad, right? Uh, or if you have grandkids, you're, you're continuing to say that stuff to them, right? Like uh, we, we probably all got some things that our parents always said, right? Or our grandparents always said. And, and, and it's like things like you can do it. I don't know. I, uh, for me, like you can do it. You're strong enough. Keep your head up. Keep your chin up. Keep going, like you've got this. But if we've, and sometimes like we've even attached the Bible to this kind of sentiment. Uh, the, the idea that um, God won't give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that before? That's in the Bible, right? Yeah. No, it's not. It's actually uh, taking a, a verse and just kind of contorting it because the actual verse that that's based on is saying that uh, whenever you're dealing with temptation, God will always lead you, leave you a way out. He'll always, there will not be enough temptation to where you'll never have a way out. Not that God won't give you more than you can handle. Not that you will ever come into contact with a problem that you can't handle. Guess what? The reason Jesus came is because we had a problem that we couldn't handle. Sin. We couldn't handle it. So God doesn't give you more than you can handle. That's just something that grandma or mom came up with that she heard from someone else and it wasn't from the Bible, okay? So this man, I think we would all admit, had a problem that he couldn't handle. He couldn't do it. He, he couldn't just keep his chin up. He couldn't just, you're strong enough, because he wasn't strong enough. He, he didn't have the strength to deal with it. And, and there will be times when we come into uh, face-to-face with a problem in our life that we can't handle. There's not enough self-help books to solve some of the things that you're going through, to deal with some of the things that you're going through. The people that you talk to, sometimes they don't have the answer. And this man had a contact, had an interaction with Jesus, and this seems to be moving in the right direction. So let's continue on. This man had a problem that didn't just have a, he didn't have a problem uh, only, but the problem had him. And some of us have had problems like that. So what happens when we come into uh, a situation where we have a problem that's too great for us. Well, verse 29, let me just do a little review before we get to verse 30. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. Verse 30, what is your name? Jesus asked them. Get this. Ask him his name. This is what he says. Legion, he said. Because many demons had entered him. So a Roman legion, this was a military term. In the Roman Empire, a Roman legion consisted of 6,000 soldiers and many thousand auxiliary soldiers. So what is the demon saying? The demon saying, it ain't just me up in here. I'm speaking on behalf of thousands of these demons. I've got thousands of my homeboys possessing this guy. We're having our way with him. But you know what? He didn't say that in, in arrogance. Verse 31. And they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. It's one thing for Jesus to come face to face with one demon and the demon be like, okay, please don't hurt me. But Jesus is face to face with thousands of demons possessing this man. And guess what? The same result happens. They beg him not to throw them into the abyss. 
the dwelling place that Satan and his demons and everyone who doesn't follow Jesus will have for the rest of eternity when Jesus returns, the abyss in Revelation. So they're begging him not to throw them there. Jesus is more powerful than what this man's problem was. So a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. So the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Can you imagine being the the pig herdsman people? Like all your bacon just went across, off the cliff and died. That's a bad day, y'all. Right? All that bacon. The ham, the honey ham, all gone. But you didn't want that ham, okay? You didn't want that bacon, I'm saying, okay? Demon-possessed ham, not good, not good. Bacon's real good, but not that kind, okay? Um, so when the, the, the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. So Jesus was leaving. So there's a lot right there. There's a lot. So Jesus delivers the man from these demons and everything about him is reversed. Did you catch what they found him doing? So the man who was naked now has got some clothes on. I don't know what happened. Like they, they went to the store. Somebody brought him something, right? He's got clothes on. He went from being naked to having clothes on. He went from living among the tombs to sitting at Jesus' feet. He went from being demon-possessed to being in his right mind. See, what's the significance of someone sitting at Jesus' feet? Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. For someone to sit at the feet of a Jewish rabbi meant they were now his disciples. They were his disciple. So this man went... From being possessed by demons, from being a vessel for evil, to now being a disciple of Jesus. In three seconds, just because Jesus decided to disrupt this problem. There is never a person you will ever come into contact with. You will never be in a place where you are disqualified from being Jesus' disciple. There's nothing, th- nothing you've ever done. There's nothing you ever could do to get you from a point where you are no longer eligible to become a disciple of Jesus. There is nothing that you will see in other people's lives. They will never be too far gone for Jesus. Because his power is greater than their problems. His power is greater than their sin. His grace overwhelms their sin. And this is good news. This is good news for any of us who have ever had problems because some of us, our our problems have had us so long that the effects of evil in our lives have been felt from from day one. Now it's it's been for years. It's been for decades. And some of us, we've, we've struggled on whether or not God is there because he seems to allow us to continue to struggle with the same thing day in and day out. Have you ever had a problem that had you? This man was possessed by thousands of demons. And guess what? He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't come upon this great article where he learned that there was four steps to freedom from demons. He didn't, he didn't come and he didn't figure it out. 
Jesus came into his life and disrupted his problem and made him new again, restored him, made him completely different than what he used to be. He totally flipped the script on what his life was. Why? Because Jesus loves doing that. Because Jesus is the one who's going to restore us. But did you notice the people's response? Like, it should be exciting that the dude who had thousands of demons possessing him is now free from that. Like, we should be celebrating. Amen. Hallelujah. That's good news. This dude is now clothed. Amen. Now we don't have to file some grievances for, you know, disorderly conduct and, and whatever else we could come up with. But now he's got clothes. He's in his right mind. He's not, he's not going crazy. Now it's good news. Like, we should be excited for that with the people. They came and they saw him and they were afraid. And they asked Jesus not to come and, hey, help my brother over here. I mean, he's got something. Help me, please. I've got some issues. I need, to, I need some help from you. No, they pushed him away. They gave him the Heisman and said, leave. We don't want you here. And this is a really important thing that we need to understand that when people um, see the power of Jesus at work, some people will surrender to him, like this man who is sitting at his feet, experienced the power of Jesus and now wants to be a part of what he's doing. And some people will, will reject them. And say, I, don't, I can't handle that. We don't know what they were afraid of. We can only guess. But what we do know is that they said, go and leave. We don't want you here. And I find it interesting. Like, it, Mike had an idea. Mike Jefferson. Tall guy up here playing the guitar. You know, that guy. Um... He had an idea, and, and he put this out on Facebook. He wanted to make some signs uh, as kind of like a, a, a Jesus rebellion uh, in, our, in our current climate of, of uh, election stuff, right? So he had these, uh, these signs made. So Jesus 2020, that's it. And, and many of you like got, got one from him or whatever. Uh, it was just something he decided to do. And it's so interesting that like... In the midst of a time where, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus took over and his love abounded, his mercy abounded, that we all started to see people uh, act like that and, and follow him. And, and wow, isn't that what we want for people in our lives, right? Like, man, Jesus has so much better, so much more power than any of these candidates. He's got so much more solutions for what's wrong with the world. Uh, he, he decided to to have these, these signs, and many of you put them in your yards, and, and we've heard some news. We've heard some news since then that, that multiple people, at least two, maybe three that I know of, have had their signs stolen. <laughs> My friends, there will be people who look at Jesus and they don't want any part of him. And let me just say this, in this time, like as followers of King Jesus, isn't that what we want? Like none of the candidates that you have, no matter how passionate you are about them, they will not solve all your problems. Have you learned that? Why? Because we're in the year 2020 and guess what? We still got some problems. And so if Jesus doesn't drive our politics, then we're doing it wrong. If he doesn't drive our politics, if he doesn't drive the way we treat each other in the midst of a divisive time, then we will sacrifice the ability for us to be salt of the earth and light of the world. 
Jesus needs to drive every decision we make in the political spectrum, in every area of life, in our life, in our finances, in, our, in the way we talk to people, in our relationships, whatever. He is king. And we shouldn't be surprised when people say, I don't want any of that. I'm going to take some Jesus. Hopefully, I guess they needed Jesus more than the people who had the sign, right? So not everyone is going to say yes to what Jesus is doing. So what, what, what else happens? Verse 38. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him, begged Jesus. So the demons are begging him. And now the man's begging him. For what? Not to not be tormented. But begged him earnestly to be with him. You see, the demons didn't have any desire to be with Jesus. But this man now did. But he sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. So this man who was a vessel for evil, was consumed by the demons who are doing Satan's bidding, is now someone who is not only rescued by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, and now indwelled by the Spirit of God in his life. Now he is someone who is commissioned by Jesus to go tell people about what God has done in their in his life. The person who was was completely off the rails, out into the desert, out in deserted places, who was completely consumed by evil, now had the opportunity to be someone who would proclaim the goodness and the riches and the glory of God. So, my friends, no matter what you've been through, no matter how great your problem is, the problem you've got is not greater than the power of Jesus. He's got this. He's got you. And yes, there will be times when you have a problem and you're taking it to Jesus and he doesn't take the problem away. But what we can know is that even in the midst of us dealing with the problems that we have in life, Jesus will use those problems to create in us a greater awareness and a greater dependency on who God is. That's what Paul said. He says he's got this thorn in his flesh that he begged God to take away. And yet, God said to him, uh, your, your weakness, my power is perfected in your weakness. Just trust me. And so Paul lived with some kind of ailment for the rest of his life that he couldn't solve, that he didn't have any medical advice for. Whatever, whatever it was, we don't know. And it told him, it showed him how to depend on God through it all. See, suffering is something that Scripture calls uh, productive because it, it produces Character and character produces hope. So yes, you may ask God to take that problem away that's overwhelming you, but maybe what he'll do is give you strength to go through it and he's with you in it and he's going to show you what it looks like to go through it and, ha- and see his faithfulness in the midst of it. So we don't know. Like Sometimes he doesn't always take away the problem, but Jesus can erase the power and effects of evil in a person. That's what we see, right? This, this man went from being demon-possessed to being in his right mind, from being someone who is possessed by demons, to now a person who is at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that a good place to be? So Jesus can erase the power and effects of evil in a person. So like, it doesn't matter how far you've come from. Yes, like all of us probably still have some stuff that we're still wrestling with that's not been fully dealt with, that's not been fully removed from our lives. 
And, and we continue to go to God about it. We continue to try and ask him for mercy and to take that stuff away. But guess what? Jesus has the power to take it away. And he wants us to learn something in the midst of him processing that through. Because the Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he is working on you. And he's guiding you. And he's molding you. And he's changing you. And he's transforming you. And he's taking away more. He's taking away the evil in your life. And he's putting it, putting righteousness in your life. So we should always be progressing toward Jesus. We should always be progressing toward growing in our faith. Why? Because that's what Jesus would want for us. So Jesus can also, he has the power over the forces of evil. There is nothing that is so bad that Jesus can't handle. It's light work to him. He's always got it. He's got the power to deal with it. It's light work to him. He knows exactly how to deal with it. And we need to trust him in it. Because some of us, I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm dealing with a problem that seems to be too heavy to bear, you know what I do? I try to get more strength. I'm like, oh, let me just lift with the legs, Brandon, not the back, right? And I'm trying to, oh, all, the, all the weight of, of the world on my shoulders, and I'm trying to carry it. I'm trying, oh, God, please, please give him the strength. No, I need to say, hey, uh, Jesus said, uh, any of you who are weary and heavy burden, uh, come to me and I will give you rest. I need to go to him. And stop trying to carry all the stuff that I've been dealing with. And I think that probably is the same for you. Jesus has the ability to transform people's ties to evil. This man went from being completely consumed by evil to now being an instrument of righteousness for God. Um, this, this man was a picture of repurposing. So back in Cincinnati, when we, when we lived there, we were uh, at the time living in a, a neighborhood called Mount Carmel. And this is on the east side of Cincinnati. If you ever go to Cincinnati and you learn, like you talk to people who are there and you ask them where they're from, I mean, like you can assume they're from Cincinnati because they live there, but probably, I don't know, you know, might not, might not be there. They will not tell you that they're from Cincinnati. If you ever meet someone who's from Cincinnati, they will not tell you they're from Cincinnati. They will tell you that they're from one of the neighborhoods in Cincinnati. Okay? Price Hill, Western Hills, uh, Anderson, Mount Carmel, uh, whatever. Like all these different things. And for Sarah and I, like having moved there, we had to figure out what, what are they even talking about? Like, can you just tell me like north side, south side, east side, west side, like some crevice? Like I'm from Indiana. Just, just give me the location and direction, right? Um, but anyway, Mount Carmel, it was, uh, we, we lived in this house. We were renting this house and it had like black mold in it. I don't recommend that, okay? Just as an aside, that was free. Um, so what we learned that there was, a, there was a church down the road from us, which, you know, that's good. That's good. Um, but we learned the backstory behind this church um, from Kenny, who's uh, the lead pastor at the Crossing, who I served under for six years. And he told us the story of this, and it's crazy. You know, this church, the building that they meet in has a story. So it used to be a strip club, this building. And, and the, the, the church leaders had been praying for a building because they had been meeting in like a, a storefront, which was not very big. So they were, they were seeking God's direction, and they sensed that God told them, um, hey, just I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bring it to you. So just you can pump the brakes on trying to find everything. Just, just trust me. And, and a little bit later, the like town commissioner of, of Mount Carmel came to them and said, hey, we've got this building, and we're trying to get it sold. Would you guys like to buy it? And so these church leaders are presented with an opportunity to buy a building that was devoted to worshiping creation. And they were presented with an opportunity. They're like, oh, 
that's kind of weird. Like, really? God, for real? That's what you want? And so they trusted him and they bought that building. And now the building that was meant to originally worship creation was now being devoted a holy place to worship the creator. It was repurposed for God's glory. See, all of us are somewhat like that. We've got some evil in us that we've dealt with. We've got some sin in us because sometimes God will take the mouth that used to uh, fight against him and curse him to now bless him and give God glory to him and proclaim his goodness to other people. That's my story. Uh, Maybe for you, like your body was used for something that was not good and glorifying, and now he's using you to give glory to him. Maybe you've got a history, got a story where God... uh, changed you and repurposed you and now you have this mission in in mind you have this purpose in mind that is so good and so holy that you can only give god credit to it like have you ever dealt with a problem that was dealing with you and you couldn't shake it for me like this is a message i need to remember because uh in the last couple of weeks i've had the the honor to um reshare or share with some people my story, all the details of it that I never go into um, details on the stage of what this was like because there's too many people who would probably be hurt by what I would share and, and too much hurt and heartache and I don't know what would happen if I did that. But anyway, I had the opportunity to share my story a couple of times in the last two weeks and, and it was like crazy because I can so easily, just like all of us, right, we can get so caught up in what the, is the here and now and where we're going that we forget where we've been and what God has done in our lives. And, and just sharing that, like I had my counselor tell me, well, that's crazy. Like that's, I hear stories all the time and that gave me pause. I'm like, oh, thanks. Great. Um, really that messed up. Uh, and then, and a friend, I was able to share that and, and all of them like, wow, that's crazy. And, and it's just to me, it was a reminder of how good God is. Because I'm not here on this stage proclaiming to you what God's word says because I did some good stuff. It was not me. It was not my own doing. I would never have written that script. Would have never have written the script of me attending church, let alone being a pastor of one. I would have never have done that. And anytime I do something good for him, I get to be reminded that scripture says all the good things that you'll ever do were already planned beforehand. So I don't get any credit. So if you are one of the rare people who think, wow, Brandon, you're cool. You're, you're really good at what you do. Uh, I don't get the credit. So if you're one of the select few who think that, don't give me credit. It's God. It's what he's doing. And that's the story of all of us, that when we have had a problem where we've fought and we've cried, we've spent tears, we've spent time, we've been trying to figure it out, we've been trying to solve it, we've been trying to deal with it, we've been trying to get it back right, we've been trying to figure it out, we've been trying to just fix what is wrong with us and what is wrong in us. Guess what? You are not strong enough to deal with the problems you've got. But this story tells us a, an amazing truth that Jesus is more powerful than any problem you'll ever have. And so when we are in situations, when we are dealing with something that is too great for us, too far beyond our capabilities of dealing with, we can ask this question. Is this problem more powerful than Jesus? Is this problem more powerful than Jesus? It wasn't for the demon-possessed man who had 6,000 demons living inside of him. His problem was probably greater than yours. And so what does that tell me? It's that means that we can bring that problem 
to him. Is this problem more powerful than Jesus? We all know the Sunday school answer. No, of course not. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that fact. Because sometimes when we're in the midst of it and dealing with all the emotions with it, we forget it. Our brain's all fogged up with all the other concerns, all the things that we're dwelling on and obsessing over, and we're trying to figure it out. And what we need to be reminded of is, is this, is this problem really more powerful than Jesus? Is it? Like, yes, he may not take it away. He may not deal with it the way I want him to. But guess what? He's with me in the midst of it. And eventually, ultimately, he will rid us of all evil, all time, forever. And so is this problem more powerful than Jesus? A couple implications. Your problem is not more powerful than Jesus. And at the same time, there, whoever they is, their problem is not more powerful than Jesus. My friends, whoever we come into contact with, whoever's misbehaving, whoever's doing things in the wrong way, uh, we will never come into a contact with a person in this life ever who is too far gone for the power of Jesus to transform. Ever. I don't care what they've done. It doesn't matter. Paul, who was named Saul of Tarsus, he, he was being used by Satan, thinking that he was doing God a favor by trying to kill Christians. He was a murderer. And yet, that didn't disqualify him from Jesus blinding him, calling him, and then equipping him to go into the, into the world and plant churches and give people hope. Because the one who was killing people and taking away their life was now the one who we read now was telling us about the new life that we can have in Jesus Christ. Jesus will flip the script of our lives. He will take what used to be a problem and now make it an instrument for his glory. And so what can we do in the midst of this? Then when we have a problem we're dealing with, we can do what scripture says. Don't worry about anything, but in every way, in every moment, take your prayers to God. Whatever it is, whatever's been keeping you up at night, whatever's been consuming you, whatever you've been obsessing over, I get it, y'all. That's what I've been doing. I have a tendency to think that I can fix it all. That if you bring a problem to me and it's something between you and someone else, I can think I can fix it. That's just the brokenness inside of me. But guess what? I can't. I can't. It's got to be God. And, and many of you are that same way. You're like, oh, you got a problem? Let me know. I'll, I got 10 steps on how you can fix it right now. If you would just listen. Come sit at my feet. I've got all the answers, right? Some of us are like that. We don't want to admit it. But we're like, you know, if everyone did what I would say in this world, we'd be better off. But none of us are the solution to someone's problems. Jesus is. We can help them along the way. But we ultimately have to point him Point them to the way, the truth, and the life. And in the same way, the thing that is plaguing your family member or your friends or the person you just met or the people you can't stand, uh, the thing that is plaguing them, their problem is not greater than the power of Jesus. And so what we can do is we can take those things, take those concerns to the God who has the answer, who has the power to deal with it. And it may just be. That God would use you, he would give you an opportunity to share the problems you've dealt with, the the faithfulness God has shown you in your life as a testimony for someone else who's dealing with something similar. 
Hey, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I get it. It's, I know that some days they're darker than you can ever even imagine. You didn't know that there was so much darkness. You didn't know that there was that grade of blinds to keep the light out. I know that you are in a situation where you look around and you feel like there's no hope. I get it. I've been there. And what I found is that when you're at their lowest, when you've hit rock bottom, you have an opportunity to recognize That at the rock is Jesus. He's the rock. And that no matter what problem you face, no matter what hardship you've dealt with, no matter how much you think you are too far gone or you've got no hope, he's faithful and he'll deliver you and he will meet you in the midst of it. He'll walk with you and he knows your pain. He knows the struggle and he cares. and He's got the power to deal with it. So whenever you are dealing with some kind of problem that doesn't, that's not just something you've got, but it's got you, I urge you, I beg you and plead with you to bring it to him. Share it with other people. Bring it to the light. That's why we have community groups. So if you're not in the part of a community group, get a part of a community group. You need others to pray with you and to be able to spur you on to trusting that Jesus really is who he said he is, that he really is worthy of our trust and our worship. That's why we have that, so that we can not look at our community group as the solution to our problems, but as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who will help us bear the burdens that come with life and cause us and show us that, hey, we need to take those burdens and give them to Jesus because his shoulders are far more broad than ours. And so I don't know what you've dealt with this year or in the last decade that's still plaguing you today, but I'd urge you, I'd encourage you that no matter what it is, Jesus is greater. Jesus has more power than whatever your problem has. And, and oftentimes, I, I do this too. We give our problems more power than they deserve. We give them more credit than they deserve. We give them more headlines in our minds than they deserve. And sometimes we bury the lead. And the lead is... That Jesus has more strength, more power than our problems. And so I'd urge us all, church, that no matter what we're dealing with, we can go to him. And really, at the end of the day, let Jesus disrupt our problems. Because when he does, good things happen. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray. And we're going to sing. And by the way, no matter if you like the way your voice sounds when you sing, if you're someone who doesn't sing out when we praise God, uh, let me encourage you. God gave you that voice. He likes it. Even if you don't, even if your neighbor doesn't, it's okay. Tell them to get over it. Let's all proclaim the glory of God together. Let's sing it out. Whether you're at home, you're doing the dishes, you're working on uh, lunch, whatever it is, whether you got somebody uh, visiting from out of town, just sing it out. I don't care. Turn up the volume so you don't hear yourself. Let's praise our God, okay? Father, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. And we are so grateful that in the midst of our difficult times, the, the biggest points of our struggles of our lives, you are faithful and you give us opportunity after opportunity to see your glory, to see your power. God, help us not to get distracted. Help us to not just see all of the circumstances that are right in front of us. Help us, God, to see with eyes of faith, to not just believe in you, God, but to believe you. Jesus, would you please have your way with us? 
Holy Spirit, we ask you right now that whatever kind of problems we're dealing with, whatever kind of sin issues we're dealing with, whatever addictions we've got, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enter in us and you would start to search and we would open those crevices of our heart, of our, of our soul, and we would be open to the work that you want to do. And because we know that, God, you, you're writing a greater story than we could ever ask for or imagine. You want to do amazing things. And sometimes, God, we know that you don't always just take away the problem just like that. We know that we can learn something from what we're going through. God, help us to, to, to suffer with you in mind because you were the one who went before us. You suffered for our good. So God, make the suffering that we deal with good for us and those around us. God, we pray that you would have your way with us. You would disrupt our problems. You would disrupt every part of us. And we would give our whole lives to you even more than what we have today. God, may, may the, the song that we sing right now with our voices just praising you, may it be pleasing to you in heaven. We ask that, Lord, in your son's name, Jesus.